everybody sleep? Um, you sleep on the train. And, uh... And that is to say, you don't really sleep. We drink from one water. It's This Exonian Life. My name is Nick Song. On this show, we bring you the stories heard on and around Exeter's campus. The song you're hearing behind me is River of Compassion by Pat Tobias in the Northwest Express. A couple years ago, back in 2015, poets Kai and Andres Carlson Wee, two brothers based out of Minnesota, decided that they wanted to go on a train trip from their home in Minnesota to the Cascade Mountains up in Washington State. Normally, this isn't really anything too special. You buy an Amtrak ticket, and a day or so passes by, and there you are. What made this case different was that the brothers wanted to take a less legal route. The two decided that they wanted to freight hop their way over. And so, over the course of a few days, they did. They brought their camera along, took some video, and the two took the footage that they got and put it into a film that they called Riding the High Line. A couple years later, the brothers came to speak at Exeter during an assembly back in April. They showed the film and had a Q&A afterwards. What you're about to hear is from that, as well as an interview I managed to get with them afterwards. Special thanks again to Andrews and Kai. Here's the story. My name is Kai Carlson Wee. Um, I'm one of the co-directors of the Riding the High Line film. And I'm a, I'm a poet and a teacher. And I'm Anders Carlson Wee, the second half of the brother team, and we're both from Minnesota. He's wondering how old we are. I'm 31. 34. So, we're not... I mean, we're getting up there, but <laughs> we're not that over the hill yet. We grew up next to a train yard that was like two blocks away from our house. We heard trains when we were kids out the window every night coming through town. They'd slow down for the turn, they'd go to this factory uh, that was also near our house called the Malta Meal Factory, kind of generic cereal uh, company. <laughs> they like make cereal that's like, you know, Cocoa Puffs, but it's called something else, you know. <laughs> bigger bags. Bigger bags. Money. Every, every day, uh, we'd wake up as kids to a new smell in the air, uh, depending on what cereal they were making. So it'd be like a Cheerios day. We like Cinnamon Toast Crunch Cinnamon Day. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Day was like the best day. <laughs> This train yard play as kids and uh, would find occasionally like these hobo camps. There would be remnants of uh, somebody's adventures in these cars. A lot of people wonder about that. They travel by train yards and happen upon these things and, and just wonder about the lives of people that, that have gone on these trains and these kinds of trips. That definitely was like the beginning for us in that interest. And later on, when we started train hopping, it didn't feel so foreign for us to be around trains and, and check it out that way. The question was, have we ever had to jump from a moving train? The answer is yes. There's a couple secrets to that. The first one is you throw your pack off first because you don't want an extra weight involved. And the other thing is you climb down the ladder and you test the ground with your foot to see if you can catch with your tread. And if you, when you touch the foot on the ground, if your foot is getting kicked away from you with a force, then you're moving too fast. Trains are so large, 
they have so much weight, they have so much cargo, and they're moving faster than you think, and they're unpredictable. And when you first are going up near them, when they're either stopped in a yard or moving, if they're moving, it's like, whoa, they're huge and they're tall, and they're dragging as if a building is passing you. If you get on them, they're making all these noises. They're doing like and it's like huge clanky metal noises and it starts to feel like you're in a hellscape of sound. Uh, there's just a lot of stimulus going on that, you, from, that from a distance if you're just not a trained person like they're a creature more they are an inanimate thing. We grew up skating together we were both like rollerbladers. but like the trick style of rollerblading, uh, like skateboarding. And like grinding down rails. Grinding, than grinding down rails. Uh, <laughs> jumping stairs, getting in a lot of trouble with cops, <laughs> interacting with a lot of homeless people in the streets. And we were really involved in that world uh, all through the night, like the later part of the 90s. And we like teamed up a lot on that stuff and we made films uh, and took a lot of still photography. Yeah. I'd get hurt and then I would kind of immediately turn to, to poetry and writing as the next way to spend my time. I started writing love poems when I was really young. You know, when I was in like elementary school. And I would develop crushes on people in the class and uh, I was a little shy about telling them that I had this crush. I would be compelled to write a little poem. Kind of just became uh, uh, a habit in a weird way. Just like of expressing yourself? Yeah, of, of expressing a, an emotion that I felt like I couldn't publicly come forward with. I couldn't admit uh, to somebody else directly. And um, through like verbal communication, it just didn't work. And so I, I, I felt like poetry was the only way. So I would write these little poems and I would, I would give them to people. And sometimes they were effective and sometimes they were just weird or like they were received as sort of weird. That was like the first exposure to, to feeling like I could write poetry or I, I needed to at certain times. That's awesome, just like going from rollerblading and then, you know, breaking your arm or something like that. Yeah, like poetry. <laughs> it was exactly, because awesome. like with skating, we were so into that world that like all our friends were skaters. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know anyone else and we had nothing else to do. So if we got hurt, literally we were just sitting in our rooms feeling sorry for ourselves and, and you experienced this too. I would just start, start writing, probably about how I was sad that I wasn't able to skate. There's sort of like this outlaw element to writing that we found in skating. And there's a narrative element to poetry and to, and to like the skate world. Every day becomes a story. You know, it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, we went down to U.S. Bank and then we got busted by the cops and they kicked us out. So we had to go over to this other place. And then the same cops found us again. So then there was this, you know, and then it yeah, becomes yeah. a story, right? Poetry is often built on those kind of elements of like the drama of, of a moment that you're trying to capture. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, I mean, sometimes it's more rhetorical or something, but I think we've always just been like really fascinated by, by stories and, and like the drama you can build.
I will say there is something so existentially freeing about doing something like this. It doesn't have to be a freight train. It doesn't have to be like hitchhiking or whatever, but a trip where you're out of control. Uh, the elements um, are, are very variable. You understand the scale and the mass of these freight trains that haul cargo every day. I don't know. It's it's such a unique and thrilling feeling that we've we've kept doing this, and that's partly why we made this film because um, it's a lot harder to put it into poetry. We'd been writing about this, we'd been doing this, and and trying to write poems about it, and people dug them, but uh, I think it was hard for people to really get the scope and really understand the landscape that we were going through. So we thought if we could just get a video camera, if we could just film this stuff, if we could just capture this a little bit visually and pair it with the poetry I think be a more understandable experience yeah it was also a way to sneak poetry into a film to sort of make you listen to it so and we tried to make this film two years prior yeah it's 2011 and every time we've done this which you know we've done this for eight years now every time we run out of water it's just one of those trips where everything from the very get-go went wrong. The beginning of that trip was that we had four gallons of water for a four-day trip. Two gallons each, which is not enough water for four days. But we got to the yard and waiting for the train, and the train came, and it wasn't slowing down and stopping. We got so excited, you know, sometimes you wait in the yard for a day for these trains. And um, when we were running up to the train to get on it, it was moving and we had to run inside it. We threw our water bottles into the well of the train and then climbed up the ladder. We jumped in, we looked down, and our water bottles had exploded. So we began the trip with zero water. It was just like... That was like... A show from beginning to end. A really fucked up way to start. <laughs> and then... We had a, a decision to make whether or not to get off, and uh, we, we stayed just, on. We just stay on the and train. It was a big and mistake. <laughs> yeah. I've got some plans. Growing on my island, on my island. We, we had to slowly find small amounts of water over the next several days. The train would stop, we'd like try to like get off and find water. water yeah. But it was always like finding like a little water bottle that the conductors threw out windows oh. or like trying to gather things in the train yard. It was really weird. We had like a whole stack of these little mini water bottles like that hold four or six ounces each. We were trying to combine them to get enough water together to have a sit. At one point we had duct taped up the bottle itself, but that was empty. And Kai ran off to, yeah. to the this trailer home to try to fill it. But then it was... Well then, yeah, so there was this really weird situation, but like... I ran to this trailer home that was nearby to try to fill it. This is the middle of the night. This is like two o'clock in the morning. We're trying to find like a hose bigot. I'm worried that like somebody living in one of these places is gonna hear us take in the water and come out with a, you know, a shine or something, yeah. yeah. Luckily that didn't happen. And I filled up this water jug, ran back to the train, and we were so thirsty at this point that we both started chugging this water immediately, just like slamming it down. And we had each taken a few swigs and they were like, does this taste kind of funny to you? 
we were like, yeah, this tastes a little weird. And we hadn't had our headlamps on or anything because you don't want to be seen on these trains. We turn on the headlamp to look in the water and it's just full of paint chips. It's just floating and it's orange. It's like, you know, there are things like almost swimming around in it, growing in oh, it. God. And we've just been slamming this like paint chip filled <laughs> water. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that was just like... <laughs> On top of this, the mosquitoes were horrendous at this time. So while we're like, you know, stuck in this yard, no water, we were trying to sleep in our sleeping bags. And the mosquitoes were so persistent and aggressive that we had our sleeping bags cinched down so that just our lips were showing and we're breathing in and out of like this very small hole. And the mosquitoes are biting our lips. And so our lips were getting all swollen up and stuffy <laughs> and like full of mosquito venom. And we didn't get any sleep and we were hallucinating and it was bad. I mean, it just couldn't have gotten much worse. And that was all, that was all like the first day. And then the other, <laughs> that was all the first day. In Washington State, I, I was standing up to take a photograph on like a bright sunny day, uh, good weather, and a train worker from off the train saw me. I, I told Kai, I was like, oh shit, I think he might see me. But it was kind of like, we don't know, sometimes they don't care. So the train kept going, but then we stopped uh, a few minutes up the track. We're kind of wondering what's going on. We're stopped in sort of a weird place. And we're stopped in a place where there's a siding, which means there's another line right next to you. Uh, but we weren't parked on the siding, we were parked on the main line, which is kind of weird. And what happened is another train started coming up behind us. And we were like, why is there another train coming up? Because normally they don't get that close together. And the second train pulled onto the siding and really slow and began searching the first train oh. for us. And the conductor was looking out the window into each individual well to try to see who, where the riders were. Right. And so we hid. And they did a pass and they missed us. And then the train started backing up and we were thinking, okay, if we just hide as they back up, they'll just give up because they'll be tired. But what happened is one of the train workers got off and was walking the far side of the train so that they could look in from both sides. And that dude saw us. And suddenly there's this voice that's like, Get off the train. This big dude who looked like Santa Claus with a big oily beard, like tan, Santa. He was like really tan. And he got us he got us off the train and he was like kind of grinning about it, but he was like, Well, I called the sheriff boys, so I'd get going if I were you. Oh, we were like in the middle of nowhere and in Washington Desert. Yeah. And so we had to like walk out. We didn't know where the highway was, so we were just blindly walking. For four miles. For miles, yeah. <laughs> we found a highway and we were so dehydrated and confused. Well, <laughs> then we were we were hitchhiking on both sides of the highway, just hoping <laughs> that like somebody... Anywhere, anywhere. We were like, <laughs> we'll go that way, we'll go the other way. We don't even care. Um, we decided that that looked too crazy. Yeah, that so looked... Then we decided to hitchhike the one way. Yeah, but it was just like, it was dire. And, you know, long story short, we didn't really film any of that because we were going through all this stuff.
we got some cool footage, but we didn't get any story, right, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And so we had to try again. Had to try again, but then the second time we knew the route, we knew what type of shots were there. We had the experience a little. And we bit. got lucky. Yeah, we got lucky. Time. We had good weather. It kind of worked out the second time, and that's what you saw today. Well, I start my day with coffee, and I end it with a beer. And in between, I'm special thanks again to Anders and Kai. If you want to check out their poetry and watch the movie, head over to writingthehighline.com. We'll have a link in our description. If you guys have any feedback or questions, feel free to send an email to thisexonianlife at gmail.com. That's thisexonianlife at gmail.com. The songs used in this podcast have been filed under the Creative Commons license. If you want to check out the music, we put up links on our website at thisexonianlife.org. That's thisexonianlife.org. I really hope you guys enjoyed listening to this first podcast. There's a lot of stories to tell, and we got some time to do it. We'll be back next time with some more. We'll see you then. For a little surprise, there was a logical reason for that buzz look in her eyes.